Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to another episode of the Tradie Business School podcast. Uh, it is the only podcast you need to listen to if you want to grow and scale your trade-based business. Today is going to be an absolute cracking episode. It's uh, an episode I've been planning out for several months now. And it's really important. Like, if you don't listen to any of the other podcasts, that's fine. But this is going to be absolutely vital for your survival as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as a parent, uh, as a human being. Because the lady that I have on today is absolutely a superstar in the entrepreneurial burnout space. She's one of the main reasons I'm still here on this planet today. There was many times where I thought I was going to check out and the work that I've done with her has helped me tremendously. So without further ado, please let me welcome to the podcast, Yuan Lu. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for carving some time out of your busy, busy schedule. I know you're uh, you know, always got things going on. And just to pile on top of the entrepreneurial stuff, you're a mother, you're currently pregnant uh, <laughs> with another baby. Um, the, the toddler that you've got is an absolute powerhouse of energy. She's a firecracker, isn't she? Oh, she's, she's sensational. <laughs> I mean, your business alone is, is going from strength to strength. So, I mean, you really do have to practice what you preach when it comes down to this stuff. So. <laughs> It's a real juggle. I mean, this is the thing. It's true for me, but it's also true for literally all the business owners that I've ever met. They are all in some way or shape running their own business. They're, you know, dealing with the team staff, but they also have a life outside of their business. So they've got a family. A lot of them have children. A lot of them have quite young children. Um, and they're juggling. They're always juggling, you know, about a million different things. So it's it's one of those things that yes, I've had to really, really practice what I preach, particularly with um with a toddler, a new baby on the way, two businesses. But also on top of that, if I'm not on top of what I do, I am just as prone to everything that I talk about, everything that my clients experience than the the next person. I'm I'm not above or beyond anybody else. So um it's one of the reasons why I have done what I do and why I've gotten into the areas that I've gotten into, it's because a lot of it comes from, yes, the the sort of passion in the science, but also in personal experience too. Yeah, nice, nice. So for the for the listeners that don't know you, for the, the watchers that have never seen you before, the best thing that I can um, talk about here is I guess the, the period of time that we've been working together uh, I thought was going to last about eight weeks. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're now into our fifth year because over well, in very quickly, I realized just how fundamental this was going to be to my success. Um, who would have thought eating bacon and eggs would form the foundation for entrepreneurial success? But um, before we delve right in, um, yep. can you give us like uh, a, a bit of a back? Like, obviously, I know. But all the people out there, they don't know, and they should, and they will after this. Yeah. Tell me, tell us all about your a little bit of your journey, who you who yeah. you are exactly, yeah, uh, where you've come from, 
what got you onto this path? Sure. Anything. So my story, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. tell us your story. Yeah, which, yeah. Is, which is really interesting because I guess, I mean, to break it down into the simplest of forms, I am a trained and qualified clinical dietitian. So I went through university. I did four years at uni, at Monash Uni, came out with a degree and was basically thrown into a I guess a handful of different roles, if you will, that they really train you up clinically to, to be part of. So straight out of the gates, I did do some work in major metropolitan hospitals. And that was where the disconnect first started for me, where, you know, you graduate as a dietitian and you think you're going to be an expert in human nutrition. Um, but you're plonked into these wards where people have suffered strokes, um, catastrophic traumas. You know, they've got major illnesses and your job is basically to have a calculator in your hand to calculate the energy requirements to work out should you be giving them this particular supplementation or that particular supplementation. And when you break it down and look at the ingredients of the supplementation, there's nothing natural, there's nothing nutritious, and there's nothing really sort of health enhancing in any of this stuff. Wait, wait, um, hang on, hang on. So you're telling me that Western medicine and the supplements that they're prescribing are actually not helping. Well, I don't say this across the board for all supplementation because I do believe in certain supplementation. The ones that they prescribe in hospitals as nutritional alternatives and nutritional supplementation is rubbish. It's made up of poorly sourced ingredients, highly inflammatory ingredients, and it does not promote long-term good health. In fact, it doesn't even promote short-term good health. And when people are critically ill and you're feeding them that stuff, it just didn't sit right for me. And the other part of it that really got me was you go out into these wards, into these rooms, um, to these patients, and let's just say someone suffered from a stroke, you then give them a, a handout and you walk them through that handout, except that the handout was created 10 years prior based on information that was outdated and they still use it as gospel. And it's blankets. So everybody's given the same advice. So I did a very, very short period of time in the hospitals before I decided I want to go out on my own because what I really want to do um, in terms of my mission was to catch people before they ended up in that situation to prevent them from ending up in that situation. So I set up my own private practice. But setting up your own private practice, you don't have a, a team of more senior practitioners around you. You are the each person you had to, there was a huge learning curve for me, basically. And in the very initial years, I lent heavily on my training, which meant I was practicing based on the nutritional guidelines. I was sticking by the book. And with that, you know, after a little while, you start to see the mixed results that you were getting. You know, while some people did show some improvement, it was marginal. Other people may have shown improvement in one area, but they're starving all of the time. And it was just really um, a little bit of a, a almost like a brand new learning experience to try and figure out, well, hang on, if these are the guidelines that we are given based on the Australian standards, why is it not working? And through this journey, I guess in many ways, there was a bit of that physical exploration on my own part. So I did aerial acrobatics at a quite uh, high level for about a decade. No, and no pun intended. 
aerobatics like literally operates at quite a high level. Quite high levels, I agree. But but you mean like an elite, an elite level, right? That's right, at at an elite level for for about a decade. So, um, and over that time, you know, did some competitions, uh, did lots of training, and was quite fit. And with that, obviously, I started to delve really strongly into sports nutrition. And what I found was sports nutrition were about a decade at least ahead of clinical nutrition. And so I drew a lot of my inspiration from what I learned through sports nutrition and brought that over into my clinical practice, which was already like in those days cutting edge because nobody had heard of protein supplementation or focusing on protein per se. And all of a sudden I was talking about protein like it was this brand new thing. So this was, I guess, um, just to clarify, so you were talking about, because protein in the sports world has been around for a long time, but you're talking oh, about yeah. bringing it back into like a clinical dietitian, everyday person. Everyday like, person. That's exactly yeah, yeah. right. Because when you look at the guidelines for sports nutrition, the protein, the focus on protein was super, super high. And then in clinical, protein was not even a focus and people were telling you to control your portion sizes and limit basically the amount you eat. Mm. And it was this stark contrast where I learned all this stuff about the physiology of, you know, when you have enough protein and over here I can see people were chronically under-eating in protein, for example. So it was a bit of a borrow from my understanding of the science over here and using it over here and it generated some seriously amazing results. And um, But really the big turning point was when I actually sustained some pretty big injuries um, through aerial acrobatics, I hurt both of my shoulders, had to take extensive time off, and during that time I made some dietary changes. And the changes I made were in line with what I had learnt about nutrition through uni about energy management, right, because I thought, yeah. well, I'm no longer going to be training effectively. I'm no longer going to be using my muscles as much, so I'm going to make some changes. And so can you guess, I mean, Adam, what changes I made? Well, uh, I mean, it would have been, uh, I guess, the whole reduction of food and those sorts of things because you don't think, and, and I can only say this now, right, because we've spent so much time working together and I've learned so much, like incredible amount. And I just want to say to everybody listening or watching, stick with us because I know they're probably going, what's this got to do with business? But we will get there. But, yeah, like, I mean, the, 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 whole, the whole lessons that we've learned is, you know, count your calories, minimize the amount of food that you put in, don't, don't put more food in than, than you need, which is correct. <laughs> but the problem is, is the type of food that we're putting in, like you said earlier, just the inflammatory nature of things and the lack of support around regenerative nutrition like when it's when it's carbs and pasta and um potatoes and those sorts of things is there a place for those yes you're going to tell me 100 but it's not like the food pyramid was designed with carbohydrates as a a massive foundation right yeah. And um, so this is exactly it. And, and how it ties into business is the fact that at this point I was running my own private practice. So in many ways, being in private practice is almost like a lot of um, people in their trades businesses working for themselves, right, as a, as a sole trader. So they'll go out, they'll take on work, they'll deliver the work, 
etc. And that was exactly what I was doing in my private practice. And the problem was when I sustained those injuries, the changes I made, I made two major changes. Um, I cut my calories down, but the way I did it was to go, well, what's the most calorie-dense nutrient? It was fats. So I cut fats down to as low as I could get it. I was using all sorts of cooking methods that avoided using oils. I wasn't adding fats. And I also cut my protein back because I'm like, well, I'm not going to be using my muscle as much. So those two were the big changes I made. And obviously, to fill up the gaps and to satiate me, I upped the amount of carbohydrates. So there was a higher ratio of rices and noodles and um, breads and there was less protein and there was virtually no fat. The thing is, up until this point, I had two uh, health issues that I had been dealing with since my late teens, early 20s. One was polycystic ovarian syndrome and the other was endometriosis. To sort of not go into too much detail, they're basically hormonal conditions and they affect women. And so when I made these two changes, I expected myself to lose weight, I expected myself to just be able to hold, at least hold my weight, but instead the weight went up. I think I gained about eight kilos in six months. Mm. And for me, because I'm a pretty small frame, that was huge, right? That's like more weight than I've gained than I've gained so far in my pregnancy. So it was like a pretty rapid weight gain. Yeah, and yeah, so- would have been would have been like more like 15, 20% of your weight back then. That's exactly right. And I was, you know, lighter and um <laughs> And it was very noticeable because most of that weight as well started to stack on around my midsection, which a lot of people would be quite familiar with is when they start to put on weight, they start to notice the midsection, midriff, stomach weight gain. And um, But that was the least of my problems, even though it was a bit of a concern for me because that wasn't the expected outcome at all, that you drop calories and gain eight kilos in six months. But for me, the biggest issue was my energy levels plummeted. I literally was dealing with fatigue and brain fog like I'd never dealt with before. And I've always been super energetic, super able to go, go, go. Everybody talks about how my energy levels just never runs out. Well, it ran out (laughs) and it was really, really low. But what was the most concerning for me at this point was that my inflammation from my PCOS and endometriosis flared up. So I was doubled over in pain to the point of vomiting on a daily basis. Yeah, wow. And so this all kind of got me extremely concerned about how nothing else changed besides not exercising now because of the injury and the dietary changes I made. And it got me starting to look down a very different path. So I started to do a lot more research on my conditions, on what causes the pain to flare up and started to go down this rabbit hole around insulin resistance, you know, inflammation and started to discover that everything I had known about nutrition up until that point was actually incorrect. And that was a a big moment because as a health practitioner, you never want to believe that you've done harm to anybody. But I had to reconcile in that moment that I had given very wrong and potentially harmful advice to all of my patients up until that point. So it was a humbling moment you know, talk about cognitive dissonance, like I was battling that really hard in that moment. Mm. But moving forward, I started to experiment on myself. Um, I started to change the way I ate. I started to change the way I looked at nutrition rather than from a calorie perspective or even from a strictly metabolic perspective. 
I started to look at it as a hormonal thing and how nutrition and the role nutrition played in hormones. And through the changes in my diet over the next six to 12 months, I lost all that eight kilos. I found my energy levels not only improved, it stabilized. There was no brain fog. I was able to go, go, go better than I was previously because I wasn't needing to eat all the time either. And the best part of it was I think it was many months down the track and my husband looks at me and goes, I have not seen you in pain for a while. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, I haven't been. Like literally I've been able to go through my days without the doubling over in pain or the vomiting episode. And so this is where my belief started around the way I teach nutrition now and the way that I practice nutrition now. And what I found was this is not an issue that just plagues me. Literally everyone who is under a lot of stress, who is running a business, has a family, are dealing with the same things, brain fog, exhaustion, weight gain, particularly central weight gain, um, mood swings or flat moods, low moods. Um, They're dealing with skin issues, inflammation, flare-ups in many different ways that they didn't ever connect, right? And, And when we were able to connect or when I've been able to help these clients of mine connect the dots, um, it's been this big moment of, holy shit, I never realised all of this was connected. But further to that, I didn't realise the role nutrition actually played. So this started to form the basis of what I teach in my business around nutrition for entrepreneurial burnout because that's exactly what my body was going through at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I just want to point out a, a couple of things here, right? Like this is why everyone's fucked. You are a university trained health professional. Professional put out into the world through the 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 healthcare system that is currently out there right now, giving advice, like really taught to believe in what they taught at school, right? Which going back to the start of of this episode, you were you were sort of saying, you know, the the system was is so archaic, right? And then, and I think this is a big problem with with everything. This is why small business is so great is because it's nimble. But governments and systems and institutions like university are behemoths. They take, they're like turning the Titanic, right? So I just want to like point this out to everybody that's listening is like, this is why you're in such a bad place because you don't know this stuff. Because if a university trained dietitian was was didn't know this stuff. Well, I, I guess there was some of it you knew, but hadn't put the pieces of the puzzle together at that point. Then how the hell are we ever going to know that? Like we are, and and when you take a step back, and this is where I get get real pumped up about this, right? When you take a step back and you look at all the things that don't make sense in the world, rising levels of obesity, you know, cardiac issues, strokes, all these diabetes, like diabetes, just which is. Yeah. Which is like solvable, not necessarily yep. curable at all levels, but manageable. Look. It's very, very manageable. Yeah. You can into remission in many, many situations, right? There yep. are very specific subsets of people with diabetes, particularly, say, for example, type 1 diabetes, where it, it's not a matter of remission because it's not lifestyle driven per se. But yep. type 2 diabetes, you're starting to see that in young children. And this is where it's ridiculous because. You know, to digress, I was looking at my um, my daughter's childcare nutrition oh. the other day. They sent the menu home for the next six months and I was just like literally face palming because the, what they were feeding my daughter was 
basically exactly what the guidelines um, recommend, but it does such a poor foundation. And that and that's the thing, right? Like it makes me so angry now. We've had so many discussions around this, right? Because like when we first started working together five years ago now, this was, I guess, somewhat new. You yeah. know, it wasn't it wasn't as heavily studied as it is now. There was a lot of there was a lot of stuff to back up sort of the protocol that you take people through and the silent science that you had to go and seek out. And that's the frustrating, one yeah. of many frustrating things is everything that you've kind of put together that's been responsible for, you know, improvements in my own mental health, reduction in in inflammatory pain. Improvements in energy, weight loss. Well, yeah, improvement, the weight <laughs> loss, all of those sorts of things. Like somebody's had to take it. And look, I guess that's how it starts anyway. Somebody pioneers it and they go and have a look and they put things together. And And this is the thing, when you take a step back and look at all those things in the world, and and the trend that we've gone on with all those rising healthcare issues, it doesn't like clearly something's been broken for decades, right? And then when you know we we put ourselves through this this protocol, and you see those changes, it's like oh my god, this makes instant sense, you know. And that's why at the start I thought, oh yeah, I'll be fixed in eight weeks. Actually, I think we, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it another time, but like. Day one, like it was going to be a one day, come and visit you on, get fixed. Six minute, five years later, I'm a constant work in progress, but I feel like this is probably the best position I've been in mentally, definitely knowledge wise. And this is the thing knowledge is power, right? But um, anyway, we digress. How does all of this tie back into? not just tradies, but any business owners, any people out there. And, and I think the other thing that I wanted to, to touch on was, you know, you talked about the very specific female ailments that you experienced. I mean, what are some of the quintessential things that us males go through? You know, we, we have fem- plenty of female listeners, so I know they're going to resonate with you. I just don't want to leave our, our blokey blokes behind, uh, the stiff upper lip guys that just get on with it like I was. What what sort of stuff affects us? And I mean, really good question. Really good question. So things that are as basic as just waking up and feeling like you need a stimulant to get your day going. So the stimulant of choice for most people are coffee, right? Coffee. And we're not talking about just one shot of coffee and that's it. We're talking about coffee after coffee after coffee. Like uh, 12, uh, 12, like 12 shots coffee. of coffee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was like right. a chain smoker. Uh, I was like, but, but right. with coffee, yeah. My coffee exactly. cup would empty and uh, that would be a cue for me to take a break yeah. uh, from work and go and fill the coffee cup up again. So, And so many people I know, but a lot of men that I know, that's what they do. They tend to just... Every break they have, rather than grabbing their water, they go and make themselves another coffee. Yeah. And if it's not coffee, it'll be something else. It'll be a, a can of Red Bull or a can of something that's also got that. Sugary, oaks, yeah, right? Sort of exactly. Um, so the need for stimulation or a stimulant to get moving is a mm. really good sign. And the other end of that same spectrum is just sleep issues. And I'm talking about ranging from as benign as just tossing and turning and waking up throughout the night. 
right through to not being able to fall asleep, not being able to wake up and feel refreshed. Because the amount of guys that I talk to, right, about this, they're like, oh, no, I sleep like a log. I fall asleep really quickly. Yeah, because we pass out from exhaustion. That's right. And we're like, well, how are you feeling when you wake up from your sleep? Are you feeling refreshed? And they're like, oh, no, I feel like I've been hit by a tree. And it's like, well, it feel that's actually a sleep issue that needs to be addressed because that shouldn't be what's happening, and that's often something we see. Um, another one is just, you know, just not feeling like the body is doing what you have worked so hard for the body to do. So what I mean by that is a lot of guys, they go and train at the gym or they're doing quite physical work in their day jobs, and yet they're noticing that they're not getting stronger. If anything, they're fatiguing faster, their muscles are wasting or they're, they're losing muscle mass. Or in spite of all the physical activity, they're still putting on weight and they're putting on weight in those places that I was talking about before that midsection, right? Yeah, I remember I remember one of our first, I think it was our very first discussion. And and I guess to give everyone some context, I, I came to Yuan because I was looking for answers. I was out there searching to understand what the fuck was going on and what was wrong because it was quite simple. Like I'd been to doctors, I'd had blood tests, everything was normal, but and and I, you know, uh, sleep apnea is um, my dad has. I, I'd like to say it runs in my family, but you know, before my dad, there was really no science around that. You know, so sleep issues physically were something that impacted, and I solved that problem. And they told me. You're going to feel amazing after you get a, a CPAP machine and, you know, you get some amazing sleep. And I didn't. I still felt like I'd been hit by a truck. So, you know, I'm like, there's got to be something else. Is this chronic fatigue? Is this burnout? Is it something else? And then, you know, bam, luckily the universe dropped one of your ads in front of me and I was like, yeah, all right, this kind of makes sense, you know. So I think if everybody out there listening is, you know, feeling those symptoms and they're like, something's not quite right here. Like, listen to your intuition because it's probably something isn't quite right. Because these things that we've spoken about so far, right, they're just really, really basic things that people don't think about. They learn to deal with it. They learn to use various coping mechanisms to just get by. For example, they wake up, they don't feel great, they drink coffee right? They don't sleep great. They use medication or they use CPAP machines. But the other part also is they're gaining weight. So what do they do? They smash themselves further by putting themselves on calorie-restricted diets. Sometimes they don't care as much about the calorie-restricted diet part because they're like, well, I work all day. I don't eat anyway. But then they'll go and smash themselves at the gym. Other things that come up, I mean, soreness, right? So muscle wastage and feeling weaker, but also soreness, joints, you know, muscles aching. And again, a lot of guys put this down to, oh, because my work is so physical, maybe yeah. it's normal. And in or fact, they're smashing themselves more, at the gym. And they come to almost like that pain. They think that that means something's happening. Um, and something no, is happening. No pain, no gain, right? That's right. It's these kind of mindsets, right? But it's like something is happening. It's called the body is not, it's not repairing. Um, but they don't see it as that. They think, oh, that means, you know, my body's actually are working it hard enough. And the other part of it, and I dare sort of put these dots together, is, is mental health, is depression, anxiety. Um, a lot of people don't recognise. I mean, they may recognise that they're depressed. They may recognise that they suffer from anxiety. 
Some of them just kind of, especially guys, you know, that stiff upper lip situation, they'll brush it aside and not talk about it. Um, and frankly, they don't know who to talk to about it because it's so built into the society to tell them to just deal with it, right? Just put up with it, deal with it. Um, but it's, they're real issues. And these issues are also symptoms. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's, that's a huge, huge point, right? Because like we talk about stories and things from time to time and the programming that we have and, and those little catchphrases and, and those sorts of things. I remember one thing from school was you are what you eat. I never really understood that until I started working with you. And I know like people say, oh, if you eat shit, you are shit, you know, all of that sort of thing. But the impact on nutrition, like I couldn't believe a couple of things you said to me. I, we haven't got time to go through all the things you've said to me over the years. Five years but, but the first one was eating bacon and eggs is fine. You know, obviously there's a strategy around that. But I remember me saying to you, yeah, I've got, I'm carrying a lot of extra weight. I need to go to the gym. I just don't have the time. Like, cause it got to that point where I was no longer physically active because of the pain, because I was making other things a priority and because I just couldn't be bothered anymore because I was so exhausted when, yeah, when I got home. And I remember you <laughs> actually, Adam, I don't want you to go to the gym. I don't want you to do anything apart from just some light physical exercise if you can come at it which at that point I couldn't, like I was so exhausted. Like it took all my energy to just function during the day. And then basically I was a zombie outside of business hours. So, and so the biggest disconnect or the biggest thing, I guess, for you that was um, a bit of a shock to the system was rather than saying, hey, to lose the weight, you need to cut calories and increase your movement. We actually did the opposite of that. We actually got you to eat way more food than you were eating at the time. Mm. And we actually got you to completely drop back your exercise. And, you know, a lot of this is what we call energy or stress or cortisol management, right? And I think, you know, segueing into sort of the main discussion point for today is we're coming into the holiday season. Yeah. We're coming into. Great um, segue. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas, New Year's. Um, and, and frankly, a lot of businesses do shut over this period of time. Uh, business owners take a break over this time. Um, but for a lot of people, this is also a time where they start to really dread it because, you know, when we talk about having a break, it's like, oh, you get to enjoy the holidays. You get to enjoy the sun. You get to enjoy being present and, and uh, around with your family. But for a lot of people, this is a time where they feel extra exhausted, where they feel like they can't come at any of the activities that have been planned for them, right? They're less present because they just want to sleep all day. And they're probably around this time is when they're getting sick a lot. Yeah. I remember when I, like, I really didn't, I, I, I used to hate this time of year, not because I'm a Grinch. I can be, but it was like, it stopped the cadence, right? It interrupted my flow. I had this not healthy mindset around needing to work all the hours. But what I dreaded most was the stop, right? Because all this crazy stuff used to happen to me consistently. And I know we'll have listeners out there that, that will, and, and you're going to explain why this happened. But every single year, I used to hate it because obviously stopping meant that I had to start again and build momentum. But that aside, I would do it anyway. 
and I, and and for the first couple of days, I would sleep ridiculous amounts. Like I would, I'm talking 14, 16 hours. I'd sleep. I'd get up. I was a zombie. I'd do the same again. And this is after having a sleep apnea machine, a CPAP, and my quality of sleep being improved. And then so after that, it'd be a day or two, and then I'd get sick. And it, and I'd spend another five or six days doing limited stuff. I'd end up frustrated, annoyed at the fact that I'd, I'd crashed and burned hard for those first couple of days. Then I'd got sick, and then basically my holidays were over. I'd, I'd feel great again going back. Well, I say great. I use great loosely. I'd feel good enough that I could come at the next year again. But over time, that got shorter and shorter. Like I couldn't you come. You never had a break, right? Because yeah. you've getting sick and recovering from illness. And yeah. we all know that that's not, that's not restorative, right? No. And this is but, but this is the thing. I had a story that it was fine because I was sleeping so much and yeah. obviously and I was working. recovering and my body needed it, right, which is correct. My body did, but it needed it on a far greater scale than that and this is why I crashed and burned at the end of every single bloody year and I missed out on so much. With but you know home. what? This isn't just at the end of every single year. I mean, I've spoken to people who've gone on holidays or go, oh, my gosh, I'm so exhausted. I think I just need a holiday. And those who have actually followed through and taken a holiday, if they booked out a two-week period to go on holidays, guaranteed they spend the first week in bed in the hotel, mm. exhausted and sleeping, and then the second week barely actually enjoying themselves because they feel groggy and they feel sick and mm. they feel flat. And just as they're starting to come out of that um, fog, they're back at work. Yeah. And that's so so explain to us what's going on there. Why are we, when we do actually give ourselves time to take holidays, and I know everybody's scared to take holidays because of the crash, but why is it? Why are we crashing? Why are yeah. we burning? And why are we getting sick, right? Yeah. Because, like, everybody hates having their holidays ruined by sickness, right? Well, this is the thing. It's a, it's a really classic situation of when we have poor cortisol management. So cortisol is the main hormone when it comes to stress management. So when your body's under stress, when you're in fight or flight, your body's going to produce a lot of cortisol. And the thing is with cortisol is it will make us highly alert. So you will feel really sharp, really focused. You're going to be able to go, go, go. When cortisol is released, your body also dumps glucose or sugar, so a main fuel source, into your bloodstream to facilitate activity. So you're able to mentally and physically do things um, better than if you didn't have the cortisol. But the problem with the cortisol is short-term and short bouts is extremely useful and it's anti-inflammatory and it's got all these powerful benefits to get you getting things done. But when That's why they fill energy drinks full of it. Well, that's why they fill energy drinks full of the thing that stimulates the adrenaline and the cortisol, right? Um, so as well as sugar. <laughs> yes, that's right. So with all of this, when we think about it at the end of the day, is if your body is, you know, short-term on cortisol, you get that short-term benefit. But the problem is the benefit is only when it's short-term. It's only when it's small bouts of. But most people that I meet, they are or have been operating on cortisol or elevated levels of cortisol for years, if not longer. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, it's like it's like trying to run a marathon on sprint fuel. <laughs> and then what happens is when you have elevated cortisol levels over a prolonged period of time, the cortisol is no longer at this point anti. Um, it's it's no longer um, doing the things that it did. So some of the things that it did is it kept you alert. So now it's no longer keeping you alert. It's just getting you to function baseline, right? Small bouts of cortisol is anti-inflammatory, which is why if you had what happened with my shoulder and um, when I had the injury, the doctor gave me cortisone injection. And that's just a um, artificial form of cortisol. So yep. essentially um, in, short, in short terms and small bouts, cortisol is anti-inflammatory. But prolonged release of cortisol in the system, it becomes inflammatory. And this is where pain flares up. Muscle aches, joint aches. This is where recovery slows down, right? Wait, you mean it's not just because I'm, you know, smashing myself at the gym and I've got a heavy, you know, a hard job where there's a lot of manual labor? What? Right? What? Oh my I God. know, right? Um, oh. And cortisol long term, because when cortisol is high, your body is <laughs> your body to release energy to keep you going. So what it does is it dumps sugar into your bloodstream. And for it to dump sugar from storage into your bloodstream for use, you need to have stores. So how your body does that is to really amp up your sugar cravings. Mm. So a lot of people prolonged running on cortisol will have insatiable um, sugar cravings. And I say sugar loosely because for some people they're like, oh, I don't have a sweet tooth. But I bet if you don't have a sweet tooth, you're also really enjoying your pastas, your potatoes, your rices, your hot chips, you know, all of those things because sugar is not just about sugar and chocolates and lollies. It is carbohydrates as an umbrella category. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is, I mean, I, I'm sure this is going to trigger a heap of people, right, with the whole carb loading and that sort of thing. But, like, my mind was blown when when I realised that there was, you know, four sort of main sugars and we'll di- we'll dig into them you know, another time, but obviously, you know, you know, people think eating fruit's great, right? But the fructose, fructose is a sugar, if you didn't know, and and it just, oh my god, just. Well, creates- I had um, gestational diabetes with my last pregnancy, and as part of having gestational diabetes, you have to keep your blood sugars and a food diary. And I obviously know how to eat, but on this one occasion, I'm like, oh, I'm really feeling like an orange. So I ate an orange. And I'm not talking about like, you know, some sort of supersized steroid orange. I'm talking about just a regular size orange. I ate that. And my blood sugar about an hour and a half, two hours after eating that orange shot up to 7.8. To give people reference, normal blood sugars should be maintained between four and five, really. Like for me, they've always been around that when I've maintained it well. The yeah. 7.8 was like this huge digression yeah. from that, Well, that's was, like diabetic territory, isn't it? That's diabetic territory. I mean, I did. I had gestational diabetes. Yeah, of course. And so it was a huge eye-opener of just how much something as benign as an orange could mm. have as an effect. And just as an example, an orange only has about 12 to 15 grams of sugar in it. Mm. Yeah, right? but that's, that's like, what, three teaspoons? That's three, four teaspoons. Yeah. But other people will be having like, you know, a, a sandwich and a sandwich, each slice of bread has 15 grams of sugar. So they make a sandwich and that's 30 grams in that bread alone. And yeah. we're not 
talking about anything that they're putting inside it, they're putting like relishes and sauces that contain more sugar. Anyway. But yeah. the point is, yeah, does every, everybody understand why we've got a diabetes epidemic now? Because like every slice of bread's got fifteen grams of sugar. How much bread are you eating? How many how many carbs are you consuming in pasta and cereal? Without even realizing, right? Yeah, Without and that's and that's the thing. But, but it goes back to that food pyramid and the stuff that we've been taught at bloody school. You yeah. know, like this stuff's right. getting drummed into us, and it's wrong. And it's wrong. And so, you know, when we actually look at Cortisol, when cortisol is elevated over a chronic amount of time, your sleep goes kaput because cortisol is also the opposing mechanism to melatonin, which is a hormone that regulates sleep. So mm-hmm. if your body is high on cortisol, your body can't produce enough melatonin. Yeah. Right? So this is where we see those who are on or have poor cortisol management, their sleep is disturbed right, the energy levels, rather than being on that sort of focused high, they're really flat and they're really scattered. They're craving sugars. And in many cases, they'll give in because their energy levels are so low. They just want something to to get them by. They just want some form of comfort. So they'll give in and they'll have sugars. But in in the presence of all this cortisol, the body actually doesn't use sugars the way that it was your body's able to if it was metabolically and hormonally optimal, right? So in an optimal state, the sugars will go to your brain for energy, your muscle for energy, anything in excess will go into storage as glucose in the form of glycogen. And only if you have excessive, excessive amounts will it go into fat storage. But in the presence of high cortisol, right, and obviously higher levels of insulin as a result, the carbs that you eat, it never makes it to the brain. It never makes it to the muscle. In fact, it barely even makes it into glucose storage as glycogen. It goes straight into fat storage. Yeah, wow. Why? A lot of people, they'll have it, maybe not even to the same quantities that they may have had it in their younger years, but they're still not feeling like their brain switched on. They still don't feel like they've got any more physical energy. And on top of that, they're getting fatter. Yeah. Right? But I'm counting calories and I'm watching what I eat and uh, I'm having salads and I'm uh, my salads are fruit salads, but I'm having salads. I'm having a big bowl of sugar in the shape of And fruit. they don't realise it and they have all of this. They're very benign. They'll have a bowl of cereal in the morning with skim milk and a banana. You know, mid-morning they'll do their best and have a low-fat yoghurt with a piece of fruit. Lunchtime they'll have a wrap or a salad sandwich. Um, in the afternoon, you know, they'll just have a small chocolate or a small biscuit with their cup of coffee. And at dinner time, they'll have whatever is cooked and whatever they make, which will be at best, you know, meat and veggies with some potato on the side, or they might have a lasagna or a pasta. I, I like how you separated potato out as not part of the because veg. It, it yeah. is the meat, devil. veggies, and potato. Potato is the devil. <laughs> it's not even the devil, and I love it. But the thing is, this is a benign, you know, infiltration of all of this sugar into the diet. And then afterwards, oh, I'll just have a little bit of ice cream or I'll just have a bowl of yogurt with some fruit. And you could be approaching this with the best of intentions, but by the end of that day, you would have had in excess of 100 grams of sugar, right? Mm. And you're wondering why your energy levels are so low still, why your brain is fuzzy, why you feel like you can crash and burn but never get restorative sleep, and why your weight's going up. And so all of this, if we think about it, is cortisol's doing, right? So when you go on holidays, when you... when oh, you, I'm, glad, I'm glad we got back to this. Back to holidays, right? 
So when you go on holidays, all of a sudden there's not the same level of stimulation, right? You're not yeah. running from one meeting to the next, putting out spot fires, dealing with staff, dealing with clients, dealing with a million things. And then on top of that, dealing with family and children and all the rest of it, all of a sudden you stop. So when you stop and there's none of that stimulation that's keeping the cortisol going, you have what we call a cortisol crash or an adrenal crash, Mm. okay, because your energy that you're so used to running off that you think is energy is not real energy. It's, It's adrenal energy. Yes. I remember this being one of the big aha moments for me is, is thinking that, you know, in the end, somewhat poor. Well, it was, it was very poor. Like it was iced coffees. It was donuts. It was pies, but I was eating plenty. Like I love food. Don't get me wrong. Uh, particularly stuff sugar laden, but I just didn't get the whole adrenal energy thing. And, and I think this is going to be a massive aha for a lot of people, right? It's that fight or flight mode that's triggered, right? We get this this untapped energy from somewhere, right? But it is literally like the chemical response in the in the body that puts us in this state, but it's that prolonged state that just destroys us. And um, yeah, I remember when you 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 taught me about that, it was it was huge. It was like, oh my God, I've been running trying to run a marathon on rocket fuel. Rocket yeah. fuel's designed to launch a rocket yeah. very quickly. You know, and I'm trying to run everything on this, you know. And the thing is, you know, where your rocket fuel was coming from was the sheer amount of sugars you were consuming. But more importantly, the things that really spiked that cortisol was things like your 12 cups of coffee a day, you know. It was all of the um, crises that you were dealing with on a day-to-day basis in your business. It was all of the pain and injuries that your body was sustaining that was further putting your body in a fight-or-flight situation. Yeah. So the thing is, without realizing, I mean, if you don't get good quality sleep, you're going to wake up more adrenal. So the thing is, a lot of people, they're, they're functioning almost entirely, almost purely on adrenaline, mm. and they're chasing down the next thing that's going to give them that hit of adrenaline because only in that state do they feel like they can function, right? And yep. this is why a lot of the time they'll drink so much coffee and be under so much stress and be just sort of pumping out so much adrenaline that by the time evening hits, they, they're going through like a mini crash, but with some help, sometimes their body's like put, but the brain's still racing. So what do they do? Let's crack open a bottle of beer, a bottle of wine or a can of beer or whatever it might be. So they'll use things like alcohol depressants, right, to help to just get them down enough so that they can actually go to sleep. It's such, know. it's such a vicious cycle in, in the yes. construction and trade. Well, it, I mean, it's not just us. It's, I mean, I know teachers that smash bottles of wine, you know, high-stress environments. And I, I think, like, for me, that was like a massive mind-blowing moment when it was like, wait, I'm actually dealing, like, things in my life, are, are, like, the stresses is actually what's energising me and creating these cravings for other things so I can function at those levels. And this is the big thing that business owners, you talk about this all the time, we don't we don't put ourselves in the same category as high performance athletes, but realistically, that we we perform and operate at a, at a much different level. I'm not going to say higher or lower, but it's just different because well, what business owners neglect to um, recognize is the amount of energy that the body uses for mental work 
is actually no less than the amount of energy the body uses for physical work. So especially, mm-hmm. say, for example, you run a trades-based business and you are quite physically active still and always on site or always running around from one place to another to check on your you know, projects and your staff or if you're still very hands-on, right, then you're doing both physical but also now layering on top of that the mental side of things of actually running and operating a business. Mm-hmm. And so the consumption of energy has doubled, so to speak. But the the disconnect is a lot of business owners, but a lot of people think that it's only the physical work that is energy depleting. They don't think sitting in front of their computer and doing spreadsheets or doing their taxes or you know doing payroll is meant is is energetically taxing. Yet it is. Yeah. yeah. So and it's like double whammy. So yeah, and it's huge. You look at athletes who you see do a hundred meter sprints or or swim or or do triathlons or marathons, and you're like, "Whoa, that's so impressive!" But the thing is, your body's doing that every day. Yeah, yeah. Right in a slightly different format, but your body is doing that every single day. Yet these guys, right, have a team around them that is helping them guide them on the precise nutrition that their body needs, the precise recovery that their body needs, mindset mental health, physical health checks. They have built in, you know, periods of training and competition and built in periods of downtime. Like AFL footballers have literal off seasons, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then pre-seasons before they have their season. And the thing is, as a business owner, you don't give yourself off season and pre-season. You just expect yourself to be on all of the time and wonder why you're burnt out. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if business owners actually treated themselves like elite athletes? Well, one thing that I know will happen or won't happen is they don't get to that end of year and crash out for two weeks, Mm. right? Because the whole point of that is what you do, what happens is you get to the end of the year, cortisol crashes, adrenaline crashes, all of the stress hormones crash because all of a sudden your stress load has gone from this to to less, right? Much, much less, unless for some people down to zero. And so in that situation, you're like, well, now you're no longer propped up on adrenaline. You're no longer propped up on cortisol. So your energy levels are crashing low. You have virtually no energy. But the good thing about adrenaline, the good thing about adrenaline cortisol is that it also does protect you from getting sick. It actually bolsters your immune function, right? Because you can imagine that in a real life scenario, if you were in a true survival situation, you, your body can't afford to be beat down with viruses and illness. So what it does is it actually protects your immune system to an extent. But now that the cortisol and adrenaline has crashed down, mm. no protection. So all of a sudden you're picking up absolutely everything and anything. Yeah, I remember like throughout the year I was like, I didn't realize I had a jacked immune system, <laughs> but it was like I never got sick, you know. And then at the end of the year, that's when I'd get wiped out. Or if I did get sick, it was like full blown man flu. Yeah. And it would wipe me out for. And then the narrative that people develop is I can't take time off because when I take time off, I crash and I get sick. Yeah. So they go, I can't afford to take time off. So that's why a lot of people will have these periods over Christmas and New Year's where they take half-assed time off. So what mm-hmm. I mean by that is they'll have the time away from the business because the business is shut, but they'll still be working on other things. They'll still be checking the emails. They'll still be on high alert. 
they never truly allow themselves to relax. Or they might take up another project. They might start to do the garden or, you know, work on some some handyman stuff or um, do some other stuff around the shed or the, 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 the cars. And they don't allow themselves to fully stop because they've developed a bit of a resistance to fully stopping because they know that when they stop, they feel more shit and they get sick. Well, hopefully, hopefully this, I guess, sheds some light on why that cycle's happening. I mean, what are, what are some ways that we can move to break that cycle? Because awareness, right, is sunlight's the best disinfectant, we say. Awareness is key to change. And having awareness that we're putting ourselves into a stress state throughout the year, which is jacking our immune system up to allow us to get through but then at the end of the year, just kind of coming to a complete stop. You know, I, I remember the last day of the year was like this massive relief. You know, when we had our Christmas barbecue, our shutdown, it was just like this massive ah oh, moment, hallelujah type thing. And then it was like, no, nah, this year is going to be different. I'll be fine. And then bang, it, w- it would happen. I would, I would crash. But I, obviously I had no awareness of that cycle now. Hopefully thousands of people are going to, going to have this awareness how what what are the steps that we need to take to break this cycle and to to i guess decrease the impact uh, soften the blow of, perhaps yeah well there's a couple of different strategies that i typically talk about um in the immediate moment um something that i talk about is cushioning the crash right so yes. if, you, if you think about your adrenal, adrenaline and cortisol levels are up here if you just stop completely, you're going to go and fall and take a nosedive pretty heavily, right? And so part of it is to soften that blow. So how we do that is rather than go from go, 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 go to a complete halt, you want to take the first few days rather than even though your body's like, I just want to sleep, don't mentally switch off into I'm just going to be able to sleep for as long as I want. So what you want to do is still get up at a, a pretty early or reasonable hour um, I know a lot of people in trades-based businesses do start quite early anyway. Mm. Don't go from a 6 a.m. start to all of a sudden a 10 a.m. start, right? But start, start with still getting up around that same time, still having some kind of a morning routine or ritual to get you going. Mm. But rather than going into work, you can start to go into some other stuff. So this could be where you go for a walk. This could be where you do some activities with the family. Um, try to avoid napping in the middle of the day. This is something that I think from that pure adrenal situation is going to be really important because what it means is by the end of the day, if you're tired, great, that's when you go to bed. So you still maintain a healthy circadian rhythm. As far go, as going to bed a little bit earlier, right? And and getting up correct. at a similar time. And getting so, up at a similar time or getting up a slight bit later, you know, as the days progress, but not just going from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., like I said, but just slightly. And the other part of it is still try and watch what you're eating. A lot of people, what I do know is they don't watch what they're eating because they're not aware of it at the best of times, but then holidays roll around and they crack open the beer at 10 o'clock in the morning or they'll start eating um, cookies and they'll start eating crappy food from very early on. And what you want to be doing is just still maintaining some kind of rhythm and pattern with your nutrition. But they're like the really basic things you can do from a cushioning of the crash perspective, right? The real work is every other part of the year. Mm. Where you get yourself from getting to a point 
where when December rolls around, you're on this cortisol and adrenaline high. You want to be able to work on it so that by the time the holidays roll around, your body's still working quite well. I mean, you're tired because you've worked all year, but you're not going to crash as hard. And inevitably what that means is the minute you shut off from work, you're going to be able to still function. You're not going to experience a crash because there's no crash. You're moving from this distance to here, not from here to here, right? And so there's a lot less effort, there's a lot less time for your body to get back into a period of functioning. And so things that I would get people to start really thinking about is if any of those symptoms that we spoke about, like for energy levels throughout the day, waking up feeling like you're still groggy, not having good sleep, weight gain, mood issues, inflammation through your muscles or joints, right? Gut issues, which is inflammation inside your gut. Um, if you experience any of those things, doesn't matter if you've been to the doctors before or not. The fact is you've got to trust your intuition, right? Is there something not quite right? And we do need to address it. So if that's something you want to address, obviously happy to, to sort of liaise uh, through Adam to, to help you guide you through that process. But don't ignore your symptoms. Don't brush it aside and think that it's just something you have to deal with, that it's part of the aging process because, frankly, it's not. Right? Um, you're not just getting older and this is how it should be. It's actually it's not part of it. And if you really resonate with getting to the holidays and absolutely dreading going on holidays because you get sick, you crash, you burn, and then the new year rolls around and when you should be actually feeling quite you know, refreshed, you're still feeling like you're just coming out of a shitstorm, right? If that's you and that's you every single year and that period is longer and longer and the period of you feeling good becomes shorter and shorter, um, that's another reason why we absolutely need to address it because chances are what's going on is hormonally your body is completely fucked. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, think, I think that's probably an amazing place to, to wrap it up. I mean, we can go on for hours and, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm pleased to announce that we offline, we discussed doing a series about entrepreneurial burnout. So I'm really pumped about us putting that together. I'm looking forward to recording more episodes on this because I cannot stress just how much of an impact you've had on my life and my, you know, all the things that I didn't think were related to food right? Like I've struggled and battled with mental health issues and depression and things like that. And I didn't realize, I remember there was a point in time where I got to, and I was completely drug free, you yeah. know, right. completely supported by my diet, my nutrition and all the work that we were doing. Now I have to confess, you know, things have slid over time. I'm a creature of habit and like I said, a work in progress. These are things that we constantly address. And but I think at your peak, you had lost, what, 40 kilos? Yeah. And you came off all your medication. Yep. Yep. And yeah, so I, I guess to put it in context, when I started working with you, I was on non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, so yep. Nurofen um, and Voltaren and things like yep. that. I was prescribed a stay-awake drug, a kind of like a legal speed. I was drinking 12 cups of coffee a day to actually try and deal with staying awake. Uh, and I was on uh, antidepressant medication, you know, and it was like I thought I'd normalized so much of this, you know, and thought none, none of that, I thought that was all to do with the stress of work. 
I didn't realize that how much of it was related to my food, you know. Who would have thought working with a dietitian would have been life-changing, not from just the weight. Like the weight loss was such an insignificant part. Like when I came to you, it was because I was exhausted. I was mentally wrecked. I was brain fogged. I was, you know, it, it had nothing to do with the amount of weight that I had, the amount of pain I was in from a joint and arthritis. Is it that to just be the way it is? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I really want to to stress to people out there, if you have symptoms that you have normalised, being in pain, having poor sleep, all the things that Yuan's talked about on, on this episode today, they're not normal. The majority of them, if not all of them, are tra- treatable, manageable by what we intake. I'm happy for you to come to me and I can connect you with Yuan. I'm also happy for you to uh, reach out to her directly. Her website is uh, metrodietetics.com.au. But like I said, we're going to do more together. We've been talking about doing stuff together for years and, and I'm, so, I'm so grateful that you're in my life and a mentor to me and the, the journey that you've taken me on and, and I'm super grateful to be, to be doing more stuff with you in the future. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, don't forget to like, subscribe, make sure you um, have joined our, our, our Facebook group, uh, sorry, <laughs> Tradies and General Contractors Global. And uh, yeah, if you want to talk to Yuan about, you know, your, the symptoms you're facing, I'm sure she'd be more than happy to have a discussion. I know I'm going to get you involved with our clients and talking to them as well. So um, you guys that are already working with us, be prepared for next year because it's going to be epic. Um, but, you know, finally, thank you, Yuan. I really appreciate it. This has been a, a pretty massive episode for in the grand scheme of our episode lengths. But like, like we talked about offline, this, it's such a massive, massive topic. It's and, so huge. And if we don't break it down, we'd be here for hours. Ex- exactly. Well, we, we, I think we've already clocked up an hour and a bit now. So yeah. um, th- thank you once again. Don't forget, guys, join, join our group. Uh, subscribe to our mailing list. Uh, so you can get the notifications when the new podcasts are out, especially the ones with Yuan, because I can tell you that my work with Yuan has been life-changing. I know it will be for you too. So uh, thanks again. Over and out. Bye. Thanks for having me. Bye. You're welcome.